This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, if you've been following along with us this summer, either in person or uh, online, thank you for those of you that are still tuning in with us online. Uh, We have been working through... Um, just selected various psalms in the Old Testament. Um, And if you're new to the Bible, the psalms are located kind of in the middle of your English Bibles, at least. And they are uh, 150 individually collected psalms that we think there was some strategic placement to some of that. I'll talk about the psalm we're going to look at today. Um, And they're just wide in their variety. You know, scholars have attempted to put categories or genres on the Psalms. And so there's, you know, Psalms of royalty or uh, kingship. There's Psalms of lament. We've looked at several Psalms of lament. There's Psalms of praise. There's Psalms of wisdom. Uh, Today we're we're actually going to be looking at one that would be probably categorized uh, as a Psalm of wisdom. Uh, So if you would open your Bibles with me, we're going to be looking at Psalm 73. This morning, and I'd mentioned the strategic placement of Psalms. Uh, There is some speculation on whether Psalm 73 was strategically placed in the Psalm book. Uh, Just a quick breakdown uh, the, the, the book of Psalms has five books. Um, And Psalm 73 um, opens book number three of the five books. And some scholars say that um, if you take Psalms 1 and 2 out of the 150, not not out, but just they're they're kind of a set-apart type of psalm, Psalm 1 and 2. And then the last four, Psalms 146 to Psalm 150, are these kind of concluding, maybe afterward psalms of praise. If if you would take those kind of outside of the, the 150... 73 would be the exact middle of the Psalms. And there's, again, speculation. We don't, we don't really know, but we think there might be reason that the Psalm was placed right there. And, and one of the reasons that we think that this is strategically placed is because as you read the book of Psalms, you can become overwhelmed uh, with, with what it means to be human. So the, bo- the book of Psalms is just an emotionally loaded book um, as a whole. And Psalm 73 um, uniquely taps into that part of us that wants to look around and just kind of give up. Uh, Psalm 73 is written by a man named Asaph. Uh, we know a little bit about him. Uh, he, was, he was from the Levite tribe. Uh, the Levites were the ones that were, they, they were the, the clergymen. They were, the, they were the, the pastors of the sanctuary and, tam- and temple. And so they would have done kind of the, the, the religious work for the Israelite people. And Asaph, um, in this psalm, is incredibly honest uh, with where his faith is at. Um, in fact, 73, Psalm 73 is the first of 11 consecutive psalms written by this one individual man. And if you read through all of them, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of get a sense of where Asaph was at. And he was, he was in turmoil, spiritually speaking. Uh, he was concerned about his heart. And uh, Psalm 73 uniquely shows us um, this, this part of Asaph's life and uh, the, the part of his life, the emotion that it reveals is what we would call envy or jealousy. And um, 
envy and jealousy come in kind of two forms, two flavors, if you will. Uh, on, on one side of the coin is, is the envy that says, um, I want what that person has. It's, it's the envy that, or the jealousy that would look at someone else's life and say, I, I'd kind of like my life to look like that. But, but the underside, and maybe even a little bit of a darker side of envy and jealousy, is what we would probably coin bitterness and resentment. And bitterness and resentment sound like, I don't want that person to have what they have. In other words, I'm looking at my life, and I'm looking at their life, and I don't like what they have. Where are you at today uh, with that? Um, because the, the one way we could look at it is, is, is kind of the soil or the, the ground where envy and jealousy and bitterness and resentment grows is this ground between the reality of your life and what you thought your life would actually be. And the wider that gap is, the more inclined you will be to fall into the trap that Asaph, Asaph is struggling with. So let's, let's listen to Psalm 73 as I read it today. One little footnote I do want to mention before I read it, particularly for those of you that are maybe newer to the Bible or to the Christian faith. Um, the Psalms frequently um, will categorize, it'll kind of Google Earth out on humanity as a whole, and it will categorize people as the righteous and the wicked. And when we hear that, I think sometimes we say um, the righteous are kind of like the good people that are like doing the right thing all the time. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, and, and the wicked people, you know, are the bad people doing the bad things. Let me just kind of discard that because I think that's kind of in our DNA of thinking about the righteous and the wicked. When the book of Psalms categorizes people in the righteous or the wicked or the pure in heart or the ungodly, they kind of do that. Uh, it would be better for us to think of it like this. The righteous are the people who sense their need for God and the wicked are the people who have no felt need for God. So people that know they need God and people that feel like they don't really need him. That's, that's the categories that we're going to be operating in today. This is Psalm 73. I'm going to read it in its entirety. If you, if you have a Bible, you'll of course follow along. Uh, if you'd like, uh, I think it's printed in the bulletin. So if you want to follow along there. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. 
All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this is the word of the Lord, and it will stand forever. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, it is our deepest desire uh, to hear from you today. We need you to tune our hearts uh, to hear, open our eyes to see. Uh, We we desperately long to hear from your word today. So speak to your people now through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and through this one man, your instrument. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. can we can we talk about virtual education for a minute, friends? Uh, I know we've got a lot of young families here and some teachers and administrators. And, and before I get on the rant for a second, um, for those of you that are, that are teachers and administrators, you're doing a lights-out job, you know, making lemons out of lemonade, or making lemonade out of lemons, right? Like, it is, um, this is incredibly difficult. And, and what I love about our church is we're pretty diverse collectively. Like, we've got some homeschoolers, we've got some private schoolers, public schoolers, and, and everything in between. And, and so I know I'm kind of speaking to an array of people here, but let me, let me just talk about virtual education for a minute. This was, uh, this week was our opening day at school. We've got two school-age children right now. We've got um, a fifth grader and a third grader uh, attending online virtual learning. And listen, Heather and I, you know, all summer it's been kind of the the looming topic, like what's school going to look like? But it was like this week we went in like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. We were like ready to go get it. Uh, we had the iPad set up. We hadn't received our, our devices. You know, the schools are giving out devices. We just kind of had our iPads set up, and it was like go time. We were ready. It's Wednesday morning, 8.30, ready to go. And kids were ready. We all got dressed, got out of our PJs, and like it was, it was going to be a great day of online virtual school. And then things began to unravel. 
right? Uh, for starters, you know, the Wi-Fi bandwidth's getting a little dicey. Everybody's at home apparently doing things, and so Wi-Fi was a little spotty. Uh, we've got the boys set up on a, on a desk, to, like a big table to work together. Uh, when they finally got logged in, there was, like, feedback, you know, from the, like both machines because they're in the same classroom, and, and it was just, like, kind of chaos. So we had to take one of them and move them downstairs and reconnect, and, and you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm the IT guy. So mom is like administrator, organizer, teacher, and I'm just IT. Um, my job is to keep all the devices working. And so I'm like darting up and down, we're two-story house, up and down the stairs, and I'm sweating bullets, and we've also got a toddler in the mix. So the toddler's, you know, looking for snacks, and it's, it's, it's you know, it's borderline pandemonium, but we're like doing well. Kids are like rolling with it, being real flexible. And we got through all our morning meetings and kind of got done. And it was like just before lunch. And Heather and I just, we just kind of looked at each other like we're, you know, we're four hours into the day at this point. And we just kind of just gave that, you know, that we've been married a minute. So like we just gave each other that inner look, just that, that inner dialogue that needed no words. And it was just like that are you ready to throw the towel in on this? Like, it was like that moment we just kind of, are you laughing under your mask? You are, okay, good. Um, like, it was just that moment where we just, like, connect with each other. Like, are you about as ready to kind of call it as I am on this? And, and, you know, we shook it off. We all hugged and got through lunch. And day two was much better. Day three was even better. And we made it. But it was that, that kind of moment where we just, just kind of come to an end of ourselves and we're a little overwhelmed and we're considering other options. And I think that feeling gets at maybe what Asaph was feeling in this psalm. And maybe gets at what something you're feeling right now. Um, we just sang it in Come Thou Fount. There's that line that says, um, Lord, I feel it. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. I want, you to f- I want you to feel that right now. Like there's something in all of us that, that you know, on any given day kind of wants to throw the towel in on, on maybe life in general, but, even, but particularly concerning like faith, like walking with God and all the things that, that you and I are trying to do um, with our lives. It's, there's moments in us there's some, there's some resin in our hearts that just kind of wants to toss it in. And this psalm um, gets to the heart uh, of what's underneath that. Do you remember Jesus, uh, there's, he told a lot of parables. He would use kind of stories of common everyday illustrations. And he tells the, the famous parable of uh, the sower sowing the seeds on different types of soil. You know, he would go out and he would sow seeds. Some would fall on the path. And the, the seed that fell on the path, it, it would be snatched up by, by the enemy, and it would be taken away. It never really took root. It was like, you know, it just, it, you know, you heard, you heard the, the, the news, and it just kind of never really took root. But the second one was, um, was the soil of the rocky ground, right? So it's like it, it, it took some root, but when trials and tribulations and trouble came, it never really came to fruition. Didn't really bear fruit. It, it just it was choked out by the temptations there. And then the, the third soil was the, the thorns, right? Where the cares of the world and life and making you know, ends meet and taking care of our kids, all that just kind of choked out the faith and it never really also gave, bear, bore fruit. But Jesus said, but there's some soil that's good soil. 
And good soil is the soil where the seeds are planted and it's rooted and, you know, whatever storm comes, whatever trials and tribulations are there, whatever is trying to choke out your faith, it's still rooted in there. And, and, and the point of the parable um, is not necessarily to speculate, oh, you know, which soil am I? The point of the parable is, is to long uh, to have your life rooted in good soil, right? Like to pray that, that you are good soil and that your faith will take root. Asaph longed for that, and I think you and I are longing for that right now. Um, this psalm, it's really framed, it, it comes out well in the Hebrew, which, you know, the, the scholars kind of help me in that. There, there's three kind of truly statements that come out in some English versions, not in all of them. There's truly statements um, in verse 1, verse 13, and verse 18. Let me read those real quick again. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Verse 13 doesn't come out of my translation, but there's a truly in there in the Hebrew. It says, truly all is in vain, and have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And then verse 18, truly you have set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. Those trulys get at the heart of what's underneath kind of the hood of Asaph's struggles. And I've kind of rephrased them into questions uh, that I want us to consider today. Here's the questions. I want us to ask and answer to the best of our ability. It might not satisfy all of your philosophical inquiries about them, but I think it'll get to the heart of what's underneath them. The questions are these. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? And how is God going to make everything right? Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? How is God going to make everything right? So let's, let's look at the first question. Why do the wicked prosper? Um, Asaph is very honest up front. He says, listen, I am envious of arrogant people living good lives. He says that in verse 3. And then in verses 4 to 12, he unpacks what the life of the wicked looks like. Um, they are essentially, um, they're bulletproof, right? They, they seem to avoid trouble. Life seems to go their way. Uh, they, they get job promotions. Uh, they're, they're on fast-track careers. Uh, their kids are doing well. Uh, every, they, they just don't see, no, no troubles seem to come their way. Uh, the way Asaph talks it is he says um, they are fat and sleek. Now, in our culture, you know, that's a terrible thing. But in that culture, that meant they were, they were abundant. They ate and drank well. Their bodies were full of provision. They, they, they lived a, a generally pretty good life, and they were carefree about it. And, 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 and the extent of their carefreeness is it's almost arrogant. Like, I can do whatever I want, and look how things go for me. Like, I, I largely live my life however I well please, and things seem to be on the right track. And so Asaph's surveying uh, his, his neighborhood and his, his people around him, his co-workers, and he's, he's saying, what is, why are they being blessed? or Why are they prospering and it seems as though I'm not? You know, why are the, the pagans, right, the people that are not interested in following God, they give him no thought or care or concern with their life, that not, nothing says anything about God, why, why are they the ones getting the good things? Why do they have children when I can't get pregnant for years? 
You know, why, do, why do they seem to have the fast track on their careers? That The ladder for them is much higher than it is for me. Why, why is wealth accumulation seemingly so easy for them? Their investments, their portfolios, they, they seem to be going well. Mine aren't. Um, what, what ASAP is, is, is tapping into here is um, kind of the undercurrent that will pull us in that says... Um, is what I'm doing with my life really working out for me? And the, the temptation, right, the enticement is for him to survey everyone else and what they're doing. Because this, this is the flavor of envy and jealousy. His envy is, I want what they have. And, and you know, so, I mean, it, it's, it could be as simple as, you know, glancing at, you know, the neighbor pulling in with the new Audi in the driveway as you look at your odometer on your Hyundai Sinatra at 150,000 miles and you just say, like, what's going on there? I mean, it's as simple as that, um, but, it, but it's even deeper uh, when it gets to, like, you say, you know, why can't I find someone to marry? Like the singles that are incredibly isolated right now. Like, why would God bless kind of the, the heathens, as it were, who give him no thought with a rich marriage life, and, and here I am. So that's kind of the enticement. And, and, and my intention is not to answer the question, really. I'm asking a question because I want to tease out this idea that God is going to, he's going to make it right. But, it, but he doesn't write it the way we think he might. So question one, why do the wicked prosper? But question two that Asaph kind of, begins to unpack in verse eight, uh, verse 13 is why do the righteous suffer? Uh, he says, listen, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. That's another way of saying, I'm doing the best I can to do what God is asking of me. I'm wanting to be obedient. I'm wanting to be, you know, follow God with my life. And, uh, and then in verse 14, what does he get? All the day I've been stricken and rebuked. He gets suffering. He gets hardship. He hits troubles. There's speed bumps and potholes everywhere in his life. And he's, he's, trying, he's trying to line these things up. How can I be obeying God, right, doing the best I can, trying to love, love God, love my neighbor, do the right things, and then I get this. And here, I think, is the dilemma of Asaph's life, and here's the dilemma of our lives is our obedience often is tied to wanting something from God. So the question we ought to be asking ourselves is, are we following God in obedience because we want something from him? A good marriage. Obedient kids. A, a comfortable retirement. And, and you, you might not, you, we don't usually do this like face-to-face, really bold font, like, God, I'm going to obey you if you'll do this. But, but you'll see if you're struggling with like, God, things aren't going well for me and I'm following you, they're, they're underneath that, again, that's the undercurrent that's trying to pull you under is like, God, I'm doing everything you're asking of me and my life is not unfolding the way I thought it would. Envy, jealousy, probably dipping into bitterness and resentment with God. 
And here's what you need to hear today, because this is what, this is what the Psalms invite us to, is God can handle those dark emotions of your spiritual life. Like, he can contain that. Asaph is entirely honest with where he's at with God. He says, look, I'm trying to understand this. It seems very wearisome for me to figure this out. But here's where, here's where he got perspective. Verse 17, when he went to the sanctuary of God. Now, we don't know what happened. Uh, you know, for modern translation, he went to church, okay? He went to church, and the perspective on his problems were widened. He got, he got a new view on things. Um, you know, here's, here's what it looks like <laughs> for you and I. You know, God, I'm, I'm doing everything you require of me. I'm, I'm going to church, and I'm, you know, giving generously, and I'm serving with my time, and I'm looking for opportunities to reach my friends and neighbors with the good news. I'm doing all these things, but I look around, and I see other people just doing things that I'd probably rather be doing. So, like, you know, you, you kind of drive into Bosky, you're, you see everybody, like, unloading their bikes, right, going to hit the trails or go for a hike, and, like, you've got nursery duty, Right? You're like, like I, you know, is I don't know, or you know, you, you're, you know, you, you see kind of your friends doing extravagant things with their 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 money, you know, vacating or buying Audis or you know whatever it is, eating at the at the best restaurants in town. You see all that and you and you say, well, you know, like I'm giving a chunk of change to church, like I'm I'm doing the ten percent thing, and I'm barely making ends meet, and I'm getting suffering. And hardship, like, that's just not adding up. So what Asaph is struggling with and what I think you're struggling with is perspective. And somehow, some way, Asaph gets perspective on his life in the sanctuary of God. That going into the presence of God with the people of God somehow widens his understanding of the ultimate end of those who would who would not do what we're doing. What what he would what he would do is he would assess that the way of the wicked will not last forever. And and that kind of gets to the final question: How does God make everything right? Like how does he how does he bring resolve um, to people? that are full of envy and jealousy and bitterness and resentment at how our lives are unfolding. And he does that, you know, in verse 18. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Uh, some of you, for, for those of you who have been around um, churches like ours, we're, uh, we, we come from a kind of a steeped tradition. We're, we're a Presbyterian church, so if you didn't know that, that's true, um, and we're kind of anchored to a, a lot of these guys who are in the what's called the Reformed faith, and there's a, there's a famous guy, his name is Jonathan Edwards, uh, early American preacher, um, and he's famous for one sermon uh, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Maybe you've heard it or read it. Uh, you know, they didn't, you know, he, he wasn't known for his sermons on heaven or God's love, but for whatever reason, that one elevated to, uh, you know, 
fame preacher status. But Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God is an excellent sermon, uh, very um, very surreal. Its its content is uh, what this psalm's about. And and I actually revisited it this week um, because do you know that, that that sermon is based on one little small text um, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which uh, I didn't write it down. I think it's... Um, I think it's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and it says, their foot shall slip in due time. So Jonathan Edwards kind of unpacks um, the, the foot of the wicked slipping. And in the opening section, really the first, it's a page, at least in my printout, um, of the sermon was him expounding on Psalm 73, uh, verse 18. You set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. And the essence of the sermon, um, he, he, you know, he, he was reading these sermons. So they weren't kind of, you know, like this. They weren't just talking. He would, he would read the manuscript. And the essence of the sermon is that there, um, I did jot this down, there is nothing that keeps wicked men out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. Let me, let me just restate that, or re-say that. There is nothing that keeps wicked men, people that, don't see their need in God, out of hell, but the mere pleasure of God. And he unfolds in really profound ways how God in his pleasure is holding the wicked up from their own destruction. And there's no grounding for why he should do that other than he's pleased to do it. And so what Jonathan Edwards does and what Asaph does in this psalm is he shows what happens when God's pleasure is removed. And what happens is, verse 19, they're destroyed in a moment, and they're swept away by terror. Uh, That like when a dream awakes, when God is aroused, um, that people are despised. And, And here's the thing, the most loving man in the world, Jesus, talked about the ultimate destruction of those who would not hear the good news of the kingdom of God. He was very forthright and upfront about it. And he, he, what he did was he would, he would present um, this reality, not in a way that would like kind of fear monger people into believing. Like that's not, if you're here today, maybe if you're even new to the Christianity or the faith, like, like that's not what this psalm's trying to get you to do. Like, look at what's going to happen to you. You better, you know, follow and trust Jesus or that's going to happen to you. What this psalm is trying to do is to try to stir up in you um, this sense in which many of us live our lives as though we have no need for God. And, and I would say that to even people um, who act like they have need for God, who are doing things that look like people who need God do. Um, because Asaph, if you, if you look at verse 21 and 22, he associated himself with those wicked people who deserve destruction. He said, listen, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, uh, the literal Hebrew there is when I was stabbed in my kidneys. For the Hebrew mind, the kidney was the center of the emotional being. So our English translations try to get to the heart, right? When I was pricked in heart. Well, think about being stabbed in the kidneys of your emotional being. That's what Asaph felt. Like when I was embittered, when I was envious, when I was dragging my feet, doing all these things for all the wrong reasons, 
with all the wrong motivation, God stabbed me in the kidneys, showed me who I really am, and then, verse 23, nevertheless, God was with him. God held his right hand. I want to I end, I want to land this like on high notes, gospel, goodness. I want you to like taste the morsels of God's delight this morning because here's, here's what, this is what Asaph's heart embellished on and this is what I want you to embellish on today is that very quickly, if you look at verse three, he, uh, verse two, his foot had almost stumbled. His steps had nearly slipped. Asap felt his destruction coming had he carried on in these ways. But God's right hand held him. And the good news about Christianity, and, and again, I'm assuming some of you are new to this. The good news about Christianity is that the way you get into the firm grip of God's right hand is not through doing good things. It's not through being more godly. It's not for reading your Bible more or praying more fervently. It's not for attending church. The way you get into God's right hand is you put your hand, metaphorically speaking, to trust him in saying that God, no matter what happens in my life, it could all be swept away. The most precious things to me, my family, my finances, my security, my investment portfolio, you know, my plans for great vacations, you know, cars that run reliably, whatever it is that gets taken away, as long as I know you'll never leave me, I will be all right. And the good news of the gospel is anyone Anyone who would put their right hand in God's right hand by trusting him in faith gets what Asaph got. And he got confidence that God would never let him go. I wonder how many of you feel like right now, just kind of hanging on to that metaphor, feel like your, your, your grip's kind of loosening, right? Like, gosh, I'm barely hanging on to this thing. I'm losing, losing faith by the minute. Here's the good news, that, that Christianity has always said it is not the strength of your grip that will save you. It's the strength of the grip who's, of the one who's holding you that will save you. The good news of Psalm 73 is that for anyone who is in God's right hand will never be let go. And the way to get into God's right hand is by trusting in the work of his son, the Lord Jesus. It's the only way to get there. And Asaph's response, and I want to just commend this to you today, is verse 25. Like, if, if there was a, like a takeaway, like, what does God want from me out of this? It's verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. If you can get to a point in your life where everything else can be lost, you can lose it all. Your career, your kids, everything I've listed that, that seems to bring us a source of comfort. 
if you get to a place where you say, God, as long as I have you on earth and in heaven, I'll be all right. You'll be exactly where God wants you to be. It's where, it's where Asaph got. It's where I'm longing to be. And I, and I pray that it's, it's where you'll get to. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do just that this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, we fully admit uh, that we are much like Asaph and all too often like the wicked. Lord, many of our days go by where we infrequently sense our need for you. Lord, we are wealthy people. There's no doubt about that. And wealth relieves suffering. So, Lord, I I pray now that as we all experience varying levels of suffering and hardship right now, that you would use that um, to help us to feel your grip. That even though we feel like we maybe even have no grip on you right now, that we would sense your arms holding us ever so tightly. Jesus made it very clear that he said that those whom you, the Father, had given to him, that none of them would perish. Lord, we are not intuitive enough to jump out of your hands. So, Lord, help us to feel that today. Help us to believe that today. And whatever tomorrow brings, good, bad, or otherwise, that we would know, whom do I have in heaven but you, Lord? Help us to believe that today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 